so I had less and less safety around my community and around people who I uh, love, um, people who I've been in relationship with for decades. And uh, I found myself distancing from those people as I was building up a sense of safety and belonging with my new QAnon Red Pill community. Maybe if you don't want to talk, you could just listen. and you are listening to the latest episode of your third favorite above average but infinitely curious podcast dimed out a show dedicated to exploring the mysteries and the meaning of life an audio kaleidoscope looking into society culture and experience or you know something like that so guys i'm gonna level with you from the start this week's episode and next week's episode it's covering a pretty serious topic And this is not to say that there won't be moments of levity, because there will be, but what we're dealing with here is a pretty serious topic. At this point, I'm sure everybody listening to this has some degree of knowledge when it comes to Q and non. I mean, let's be real, over the last 12 to 18 months, it's pretty much been unavoidable, especially over here in the US, in the run-up to the election, during the election, and then, you know, for obvious reasons, after the election. It was just everywhere. Originally spawned on the boards of 4chan before moving over to 8chan where it gained more independence, more freedom and more prominence, it just began to grow and grow and grow and just kept feeding, kept feeding into conspiracy theories, into outright lies, into misinformation, some of which was purposely placed, some of which just naively believed and pushed forward by people clinging onto something, or looking to cling onto something. Accelerated by fear and paranoia, a degree of self-righteousness, a sense of losing control, this thing just became monstrous, a monstrous melting pot of different ideologies, some of which, which, you know, let's be honest, let's make no bones about it, let's be upfront, some of those ideologies were very much rooted deeply in sexism, in racism, in misogyny, in supremacy, in nationalism, in all sorts of heinous, hateful, bigoted ideals. And as this thing continued to grow and spread, it became this socio-political leviathan that left a trail of damage and destruction behind it, both on a macro level, I mean, we all saw what happened, Capitol Hill, 6th of January, we all saw that, we all know the role that QAnon played in getting to that point, but it also left an unquantifiable amount of fractures on a micro level, within families, within households, within friendship cycles. And that's the area that we're going to be looking at in this episode and next week's episode. This is not a solo research-based episode. This is not looking at QAnon, its identity, what it is, why it even existed in the first place. We're not tackling that. Now, we're tapping into this subject from a more personal, nuanced, and real angle. This week and next week, we're going to be talking to a special guest going under the name Alice. It's an alias used for her protection and to allow her to speak openly 
and candidly about her life and her experience in QAnon. When I discovered Alice on a subreddit, I asked her to be on the show for a number of reasons. One is that I do think it is important, and this is something that I am trying in my personal life more, to be open to talking to people from the other side of the aisle, as it were, to talking to people that maybe have different stances on important subjects to you, because... You know, echo chambers, yeah, they're comfortable, but they don't really push things forward. So in the genuine, sincere hope of doing exactly that, of moving forward, of advancing, in the spirit of looking at things from a different, fresh and very human perspective, here is the first half of my conversation with Alice. It's very raw, it's very personal, and yeah, I just, I thank her for her candid openness regarding this. In this week's episode, we're going to be talking about how Alice initially fell into the rabbit hole of QAnon, what it is that pulled her in even deeper, and what life was like for her and her people around her during her time in the rabbit hole. First and foremost, Alice, uh, I want to say thank you for appearing. As I said to you before off-air, I can't say I know how it feels being in your position, but I imagine talking openly about what we're about to talk about can be and has been a little bit difficult for you. So yeah, first and foremost, I wanted to say privately and publicly on the show that I do genuinely appreciate you being here, taking the time and sharing. Thank you. Appreciate that. So I'm going to dive kind of straight into it and we'll kind of work our way around the garden as it were. So your history with QAnon, how and why did you find yourself drawn to it in the first place? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a question you've had quite a bit recently? Um, sure. And actually, most of the questions came in in um, late January uh, 2021 for me, because um, that's when I was fully out of the rabbit hole and I found QAnon mm-hmm. casualties on Reddit. And it just created this whole wave of process for me so yeah most common questions the biggest one is how did you get out because there's so many people who desperately want to have an answer to support uh people they love to exit QAnon they're having some level of impact Mm -hmm. so that's the biggest question I get uh and we'll get right and then and then of course uh, how did you get in is also a question I think people are trying to figure out how do we prevent people from falling down the rabbit hole. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think one thing I would say is I had no idea what Q or QAnon was in June of 2020 when I fell down the rabbit hole. Okay, so you had no prior knowledge of, of the 8chan origin or 4chan origins? I had origins not and, heard and of it, no. I, okay. Nobody in my family had heard of it. Some people in my community were aware of it, but it had not. I had not seen it. It seemed to be a revelation when I discovered what Q and QAnon was. Yeah, I'd not heard about it. So I didn't have any of the warnings that I'm sure um, friends and family would have given me had they known in advance what it was. I was introduced to a, um, I'm going to call it a documentary because I don't know what else to call it. But it's one of these videos that has been used to really draw people um, down this rabbit hole. And it's called Fall Cabal. Uh, It's a 10-part series. 
it's been taken off of YouTube and reposted and taken off. Um, it, it's still, you can find it online. It's about three and a half hours in total. I had a friend who was a fellow Bernie supporter, um, you know, racial justice warrior, a, a lot of shared values. And she had watched it and thought it was, you know, intriguing and bizarre and was very curious what I would think of it. And at first I gave it no mm -hmm. attention whatsoever, but she kind of kept asking, you know, have you watched it yet? I'm just really curious what you think about it. And I sent her another video that uh, she watched. And then she again asked, I was like, okay, she watched my video, you know, maybe I'll, I'll find a time to watch hers. So I, uh, it was three months into the lockdown. The George Floyd murder had happened, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, it was maybe 10 days prior to, to this experience for me. And there was a lot of stress. The, the lockdown was very stressful. Uh, hearing that it was going to be extended was something I, I couldn't uh, tolerate that um, reality. And it was, I was aware that there were real problems in our country uh, as it relates to systemic racial injustice, but my husband was not so aware of that. And when the news was then really highlighting the level of racial injustice, he became depressed. He, you know, liked to think of our country as being very progressive and and diverse and you know he felt proud to be yeah. American that it just kind of crashed him so we were having unusual tension between us and so I'm, I'm saying that because I I believe that part of what made me vulnerable was the emotional state the mental emotional state I was in when I watched this video series it was right. like 10 10 30 at night you know, he had already fallen asleep and I was just staring at the ceiling, really stressed out, feeling anxious and depressed. And I was like, okay, well, I've got nothing else to do. And so I pressed play on this video series. I'm told by other people who have watched it that it has a lot of hypnotic elements to it in the way it's designed. And in, in, in terms of its in, intentional Yeah, structure. the intentional structure... The use of uh, fast-moving images, the use of like I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal to you what's happening behind the scenes, and some of it is going to be really horrible and horrific, but watch it through till the end. I've got great news for you at the end. You know, just just trust me on that, and just watch it from beginning to end, and then you can do your own research and check it out. Fact check what I'm what I'm saying. And so it kind of put my mind at rest and I was more open to what this woman, Janet, was expressing in this, this film that she made. And it started out with things that I was very familiar with. It started out with 9-11 and I have, I've not trusted the official story on 9-11. Um, right. It, it yeah. had, uh, goodness, it's been a while since I've watched it. It had some... Some other things about, uh, I think, the JFK assassination. I, I've also questioned the official story on that. And then JFK Jr., it proposes that he faked his death and is still alive. I am aware that the U.S. government has assassinated people through private plane crashes. Mm -hmm. There's uh, 
there's a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And in this book, this, this man, I'm forgetting his name, but he talks about how that, that's just one of the things that our government has used to kill off leaders, to create the outcome that serves our government interests. So, right. you know, that was within reason. It had, for me, <laughs> that was within reason for me. It also showed things about, you know, some of the uh, erotic imagery that is put into Disney films and images. That was another thing that I had seen years in the past. So, so there were a number of things early on in the film that I had familiarity with. And so that created some buy-in for me in terms of like, okay, you know, here's something that I believe is probably true in terms of corruption. Here's another thing I think is probably true. And this right. is weird, but I've seen it before. And so it kind of built this, built this buy-in and then it, it just built off of that. So it, it then started to bring in some strange things around um, satanic worship and um, Maria Bromovich, Marina Bromovich. Marina uh, yeah, Bromovich, the, um, the, the artist. Right. Uh, I'd never seen her before. Actually, that's not true. There's one art piece where she she did some gazing thing, which was interesting. It, but, it was called the the artist is a present. It was for the the MoMA in 2010 as a documentary where she spent can't remember how many days now across right. the table from people. Right. And yeah. that looked beautiful. I think eye gazing is a wonderful way to connect with other people. What I, but I wasn't aware of her satanic art that she does. And well, I, I don't know if I would refer to it as satanic. Okay. I, uh, there's, there's been a use of a star in, in one of her rhythm pieces, which, you know, you could put as, as uh, a pentagram. But I don't know if it was intentionally designed to be. Okay, so I've seen of pictures of her with um, bloody skulls and using blood to paint things. And a lot of the, the, the pentagram uh, star. And then the spirit mm-hmm. dinners, and that definitely started to create emotions in me, incredible discomfort in me. And then, of course, this this film brings that into this conspiracy theory uh, that the way power and corruption works in our world is not just through money, but it's through child trafficking and, and horrible crimes against right. children. At that point, it, what I'm told is, if you start to believe in that, it like takes over your brain. There's a bit of like, this is so horrible. This is so horrible. And I need a solution to this. <laughs> so this movie like brings you into seeing these things that are just gut-wrenching and then gives you this solution, which is that Q is this, you know, that working deep in the government in this secret deep place in the government and he's been working with the white hats and donald trump to end the cabal and to bring about a utopia on earth just to stop you a quick second alice just to clarify white hats that's a term i'm actually not familiar with white hats are considered to be the i guess the good guys right if you got good guys and bad guys they're the good guys deep in the government they're the ones who don't participate in corruption. They see what's going on. They try and figure out how to change it. And supposedly, you know, the white hats have been in our government for a long time. Oh, that was another thing. The movie also goes into um, Dwight Eisenhower's speech about the military industrial complex and kind of warning people that it's getting to be too powerful. 
And then it goes into President Kennedy's speech talking about secret societies and how we cannot have secrets, we need to have transparency. And so both of those two are giving an argument that there's abuse of power and corruption that's deep in our government. So I think those were called the black hats because I would sometimes hear white hats and black hats and, mm-hmm. uh, and President Kennedy and then, of course, the Kennedy family were seen as white hats who were trying to undo the abuse of corruption uh, and the abuse of power inside the government. So the story is that these the good guys deep in the CIA and the FBI, that they have been secretly working together to try to figure out how to end the corruption that's within our government, those are the white hats. And from those white hats is the entity called Q, right? Q supposedly is this deep insider that has the highest level of security clearance. But Q is not alone. It's Q and the white hats. And the story from Janet's perspective which is shared by a lot of QAnons, is that they identified Donald Trump as being the perfect candidate to pull off the plan, quote unquote, the plan. Right. Got you. Yeah. He's the guy. He's, he's the fellow to do it. Right. So again, this, this film was three and a half hours, and that's all it took for me to go from identifying as a liberal progressive to a QAnon. Yeah, see, I was going to touch upon this because you, you did mention, and I did read in one of your, your your posts online that you were previously a Bernie supporter. Yes. So, like on the surface, as a, as a sort of fervent Bernie supporter myself, it's a little bit hard for me to kind of wrap my head around sure. how you went from one to the yeah. other. Yeah, I had such an aversion to Donald Trump prior to watching this film. Like, I had a hard time looking at images of him or hearing his voice. Mm-hmm. I would literally have physical nausea come up (laughs) right and what happened in this film part of the way it weaves the story is it says you are feeling physical nausea because the mainstream media which is owned basically by six old white oligarchs has been brainwashing you they feel threatened by donald trump because he's the only one who threatens their power and they've been brainwashing you into thinking that he's a bad man because they don't Mm -hmm. want him to take away their power And so it flipped my whole system of trust. I still love Bernie, but I thought maybe Bernie was brainwashed. And it's so bizarre. But after watching this film, I I still, even though I'm out out of the rabbit hole now, I still don't know how much I can trust mainstream media. I don't have the same trust in it that I had prior to this experience. I have more trust, though, than when I was in the rabbit hole. But it's right. definitely had me yeah. look at mainstream media in a different way. Um, I do believe that there is propaganda and lies throughout our media. So I, I don't have the, the visceral mistrust of, of mainstream media, but I do fully see why people question what they're being told and, and why they should question what they're being told, because every news outlet serves a, a higher master right. and that's basically who owns them mm-hmm. and what that what sort of side of the fence they align themselves right. on and it's it's not necessarily uh this all-encompassing thing but it can be subtle presentation 
and it can be the, the not mentioning of certain facts and just kind of gatekeeping to a certain degree to fit their audience and demographic. It's to like support your narrative. Yeah, it's like anybody that makes anything you want to cater primarily to your audience, your demographic. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so this video series had me flip what I thought was authoritative truth. And all of a sudden I was, I, I think part of it is my psyche wanted to believe this savior story, right? That, mm-hmm. uh, that somehow the good guys are winning and, and, uh, and the good guys are Q and the white hats and Trump. Uh, and everything else is lies. I think there's there's something called reaction formation that I've been looking into. Basically, the way it was described to me is when you look out into the world and and you don't feel safe with reality as it is, there's a mm-hmm. psychological mechanism that makes you ready to hear a different view of the way the world is. And if that new view gives you a deeper sense of safety than the previous view, you're likely to on to, to adopt it. But it's like a subconscious mechanism. I'm safer here mm. than I was over there. And yeah, I, I suppose it's kind of playing to just like our core instinctual sort of mechanisms of outside of shelter, warmth and food. It's a case of comfort and a sense of protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also, I, I would say, belonging and a sense of uh, yeah. transcendence or communion with, with a higher power. You know, this, right. this wanting to believe there's so many, there's so many crises happening in our world right now. Uh, and yeah. so there's, you know, wanting to believe that there's a higher power and, you know, some kind of higher order or a higher intelligence that is taking care of it all behind the scenes, right? So I don't have to freak out about, you know, global warming and the loss of clean air and water and soil um, or the the many other uh, crises that, that we're dealing with right now. It's overwhelming. And so this gave me a simple solution that my psyche just wanted to hold on to for a period of time. And I have friends who are still in it. Like they just, they're, they're clinging to the, they're clinging to the QAnon theories, you know, like a born again Christian clings to Jesus and their newfound salvation. Do you feel like that is for that reason, for that sense of safety? Yes. Uh, for quite a while, it gave me a, a deeper sense of safety. Yeah, but that didn't last. There's, there's something about my, I mean, my experience was when I first fell down the rabbit hole, I felt elated. I felt amazing. I felt like the, the, you know, the veils had lifted. I understood what was happening behind the scenes. I saw how the world was working. I saw the problem. I saw the solution. We just needed to wake people up. We needed them to right. understand that the mainstream media is lying to us and that the vaccines are, you know, part of the cabal's plan to dominate humanity because if if we don't go according to their plan then they cannot fulfill it and then you know then we again enter into utopia together and i i'm kind of over oversimplifying it or making fun of it a little bit now <laughs> right but yeah it um yeah there was an overnight flip which of course um that that was very difficult on the people around me yeah i'm kind of going to get into that in just a second um I kind of wanted to touch upon very quickly. So 
going from this this instance of uh, presumably like a fire has been lit under you and you've kind of had the, the as you said the veil taken uh off of your eyes and you're kind of seeing things for what you felt they they were mm-hmm. all along but now you've just kind of realized you've been uh, awoken to it red pilled as right. it were you mentioned having like this real sort of physical aversion to to trump how yeah. did that swing like what kind of transition time was that from being like feeling physically adverse to seeing him or hearing his voice to kind of accepting him in a different light like what was that transition like how long did that take I know I mean that was with this video series as well the whole thing the whole thing flipped me in three and a half hours I I went from feeling a nauseated aversion to him to going oh my god He's, he is doing one of the most difficult jobs on the planet. I, you know, I, I'm generally not a religious person, mm-hmm. but I aligned with people who went, he's chosen by God. He is fulfilling this role that is like none other on our planet right. in terms of the transition from, from this evil power structure to the decimation of this evil power structure as humanity evolves from the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius, you know, this is the great awakening. It really fit in with a lot of other spiritual stories about what's happening in this day and age. It's the end of the Mayan calendar. It's perhaps the end of the Kali Yuga and we're entering to the Satya Yuga, right? That all maps onto this idea of a great awakening. And so it felt like there was some kind of mystical something okay. behind it. So you could draw you could draw parallels from things that you had obviously encountered before, things you'd heard of, and, and as you say, from like a, a sort of historical and somewhat spiritual aspects. You're like, okay, this kind of it seems right. like it's aligning. It kind of feels like this has already been foretold, but just with a different name, different terminology. Right. And surprise, it turns out to be like the one person I have <laughs> biggest aversion to in the world. Yeah. It turns out he's actually the good guy. Right. <laughs> yeah. The last, the last person I would have pegged is actually the savior. Right. <laughs> right. What I want to know, Alice, is um, so you've, you've had this flip, you've kind of gone from, from one side to the other and, and you've mm-hmm. kind of seen things in, in, in reverse almost. Mm-hmm. As it were, everything's become sort of inverted. But what right. is it that pulled you in deeper and what is it that kind of kept you in the rabbit hole for as long as you were? Yeah. I, first of all, I want to say it wasn't a complete inversion because there was a core that was absolutely the same. Okay. And the, the, the core that's the same from being a Bernie supporter to being a QAnon is the idea that there is a power and corruption right. that is harmful to humanity and the planet. And there's a desire to create a world that works for everyone. There's a desire for what Charles Eisenstein calls the more beautiful world our hearts know is possible, right? For and earlier I said like a utopia that was the same prior to and after okay. uh, this, this flip. However, when I became a QAnon, it felt more like it was attainable. Right. Like this was just what was happening and I was playing my role in some divine play. So that part, that part was the same in terms of going deeper uh, down the rabbit hole. Facebook was brilliant at supporting a deeper dive down the rabbit hole. So the first thing that happened was I went, oh my goodness, now I can see what's actually going on behind the scenes. And and then 
the very next day I was on Facebook, it was very easy for me to see who in my community was a QAnon, who else had quote unquote woken up and, and who was arguing against it. And so I started to immediately friend people and, and engage with those people. And then I would read their pages and I'd see things and Facebook very quickly came to see what was keeping my attention. And so then it started to send me more QAnon related posts. Yeah, they will do that. Um, including yeah. Articles and videos. And, um, you know, I'd already had a Facebook would be the social media addiction I had a problem with prior to this. Mm-hmm. And it grossly amplified after falling down the rabbit hole. I was probably spending six to seven hours a day just checking things out, you know, watching videos and looking at links and kind of checking on things I'd seen in this video series. And between Facebook and the pre-existing community of people who had already fallen down the rabbit hole, I was getting a lot of confirmation of the bias, my new bias. Mm -hmm. And it became like a snowball effect because Facebook was the algorithms are designed to just give you more of what you're clicking on and to highlight the things that other people are clicking on. Just as a a side tangent, and and I never actually thought to mention this, but it's a really interesting area since we're here. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you feel like social media, I, I, I do want to say Facebook in particular, but social media as a whole, but Facebook has kind of, got a prevalence for its algorithms as you say uh do you feel like that has played quite a big part in in the snowball effect overall of QAnon well definitely for me I know that there are some people who it's been a different social media platform Mm -hmm. but for me and the people I know Facebook I believe was the biggest uh, social media platform supporting a deeper dive into the web of theories that is I mean, you probably know this, but QAnon like takes pretty much every conspiracy theory that's ever been told and wraps it up into one massive web. Mm -hmm. So there's so many, you know, there's so many pre-existing conspiracy theories. There's just loads of information out there. But yes, definitely Facebook. Um, One of the biggest things that helped me get out of the rabbit hole was unplugging from Facebook. (laughs) And I make sure it's not on my phone. I don't go onto it on my computer anymore you know, I'm pretty, it's gone. It's not been good for me. So it's, it's, it's gone. Okay. Yeah. So sorry. I, it's, it's just, I think it's a curious sort of side topic because I feel personally, I feel social media as a whole um, and we kind of have singled out Facebook, but I think social media as a whole has, has played a, a huge part and does have a lot of culpability in, in mm-hmm. getting QAnon to the, to the stages that it got to. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's a real dicey area. It's a real gray area because you, you then find yourself talking about the idea of free speech and right. the limitations right. of free speech, especially online, who should be allowed to say what, and it kind of gets into some really morally, um, dangerous ground. It really does. The, the, the censorship is, is something that I'm concerned mm-hmm. about still. <laughs> I, I don't know what, yeah, I'm aware that some lack of censorship mixed with these these AI algorithms have aggravated the problem, but I also feel very concerned about a lot of the censorship that's happening mm. currently. Yeah, it's 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 a concern yeah. and there's no easy fix and there's, there's no immediate answer. No. I think this is something that we're going to be looking at for quite some time. But kind of getting back into yeah. your story, so Facebook itself um, and the time spent there and and 
conversing and engaging with other people that you said you found sort of share your insight and what have you so you would say Mm -hmm. that kind of became somewhat of an echo chamber well definitely and I you know I think that uh, people generally when we have a strong belief we want to find people who agree with us we tend to have an aversion to people who are disagreeing with us, especially if they want to argue with us mm-hmm. and name call. Yeah, because no one wants right. to get into a slang <laughs> match where they're called every name under the no. sun. Yeah. Right, right. And I really did the best I could to share what I was seeing in a way that was respectful to other people. I don't like to engage in, in name calling or uh, any kind of denigrating arguments. But I had a lot of pushback. Mm-hmm which I understand now at the time it was just, it hurt. Um, I definitely have, have had all kinds of names and accusations thrown my way um, simply because I, you know, I posted uh, some things about Bill Gates that people in my community did not like. And, you know, I posted, I don't know, I posted some, some other things about um, child pedophilia, you know, just kind of some of the topics that are tend to be QAnon topics. Uh, I would generally get a reaction from people who were very frightened and upset by the fact that, uh, that QAnon even exists. Yeah. I guess that leads me kind of into a good point to talk about how other people kind of reacted to, to you falling down the rabbit hole. How was life for you whilst in there? From like an external standpoint yeah. in particular, friends, family, acquaintances, etc. How did things change for you and how, how was that? I generally felt like I needed to try to hide, even though I had this bubbling enthusiasm to wake people up and to share with them, you know, what's really happening Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. I also felt like I needed to hide because I knew that it was very, very, very not popular to support Trump in my social community, that it would freak some people out. It would upset a lot of people and it would freak people out as well. So I did find myself trying to find communities where I could speak openly uh, and trying to moderate. I tried to moderate myself in terms of sharing openly in places where I could get pushback. I thought that I could post things about the vaccines and be in, I don't know, be in a topic that might have more openness. I tend to be in kind of a, a health and wellness general social circles. So I thought that that would work, but uh, when I when I posted, I did do something on exposed Bill Gates that shows his financial ties to all kinds of companies and health organizations around the world. And I had one person who accused me of being a sexist, racist, fascist—I don't know—imbecile on that post. And I was like, "Wow, what?" What does Bill Gates and vaccines have to do with sexist, racist, fascism? It was so confusing to me. And it hurt, too, because this was somebody I know. And it's like, okay, you know me, right? You know, if you want to call me a sexist, show me what it is I've written that has you concerned I'm a sexist, Mm -hmm. right? If If you think I'm a racist, please let me know what have I posted that somehow was not sensitive to racial issues. I'm, I'm willing to look at that. I'm willing to learn. Um, but it's, it's painful to have an accusation made when those accusations are totally against my, my sense of self and my values. So I had less and less safety 
around my community and around people who I uh, love. Um, people who I've been in relationship with for decades. And uh, I found myself distancing from those people as I was building up a sense of safety and belonging with my new QAnon Red Pill community. Um, They were the place that I went to to have uh, to, to receive empathy and compassion and friendship and care and understanding. Um, So I can really see how easy it is for people who go down the rabbit hole to distance themselves from people who they love and to align themselves with, um, with other QAnons and other people who, um, you know, share that belief system. I seen in a post of yours that you, you mentioned about not so much cutting people off, but kind of distancing yourself from people that you felt wouldn't quite understand or, or would, as you've explained there, sort of misinterpreted the angle that you're coming from mm-hmm. with the things that you were sharing. But you, in, in a post I, say, I saw you um, mention the idea of compassion and commitment to your relationships mm-hmm. with, with a couple of people and how some people within your life although they didn't quite understand where you were coming from the angle that you were approaching these things from didn't cut you off didn't make those instant assumptions how important was that for you sort of during your time in the rabbit hole yeah that was huge um that was a lifeline for me because if I hadn't had that I wouldn't I I probably would have cut myself off from everyone and, and sought to build a new life um, which I didn't want to do, but it's, it's, um, it's exhausting to have accusations and to feel like you have to defend yourself all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, I can only imagine. Um, I imagine there's also a lot of people that haven't been able to do that and that have ended up cutting people off and kind of having to sort of build a a new life and, and people that have had uh, like a, a real se- severance between their old life and what they deemed as their new life. Definitely. And especially for those that have, have managed to get out themselves like you have, if they've done that, then I can only imagine how difficult that is because then they're having to start yet again with nobody on either side to sort of find a sense of comfort. It's really hard for me to imagine how people get out of the rabbit hole if if they don't have lifelines it's mm-hmm. really hard for me to imagine it's because it's it's safer to stay with people who who show care for you um yeah it, absolutely it's a, it's a it's a pretty big breakdown of of reality it's very embarrassing and easy to feel shame when yeah. when you recognize how much absurdity there is in the rabbit hole I think there's also things to be learned in the rabbit hole. I, you know, I, I, uh, it's expanded my, certainly expanded my compassion for uh, conservatives. I did not understand conservatives. My community is almost hundred percent liberal, but having fallen down the rabbit hole, I, I came to really understand people who, who love Trump and who, their full integrity was to back him and to support him. Um, I've been in the the news echo chambers that would support that way of viewing the world. And so 
I have a level of compassionate understanding for Trump supporters that was just so far beyond anything I could understand prior yeah. to this experience. And uh, compassion is a huge value for me. So that's been a growth piece. I mean, from from my standpoint, um, coming in as as a, as a relative stranger to you, Alice, and your situation, it's it's very clear how much of an emotional impact this has had, but it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to think that you've at least got something from that experience that you've taken that experience and taken something from it rather than it just being a wholly negative period. You've managed to find a sense of compassion where previously you couldn't imagine placing compassion. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think, I think that, uh, you know, it's obviously been a hell of a thing for you to go through, but it's an amazing thing that you've managed to pull something good out of it. Yeah. Thank you. There's a, somebody who I really appreciate listening to Daniel Schmachtenberger, who he has, he has a bunch of talks on YouTube, but he, he's been able to stay in a space of really honoring both sides. And I recognize I was in a simplistic thinking that, you know, if everybody could align with Bernie Sanders and our revolution, then we could save the planet. You know, that that was my answer. Right. And yeah. uh, in this experience, you know, the humbling thing is I've just come to understand it's so much more complex than that. Mm-hmm. But I'd rather be in a space of compassion and openness than to be in a kind of black and white thinking of I've got the truth and you don't. <laughs> Right. So I was in that before. I was in that with Bernie Sanders and I was in that with QAnon thinking, you know, I've got the truth and you don't. Yeah. And uh, so it does feel like it's a real growth to recognize. I, wow, I just, I don't, I, I've got my sense of what's going on, but I can't say it's the truth. And I'm, I'm willing to, to learn and recognize where I've been wrong and to upgrade my understanding and yeah, my ability to just really feel a open hearted, you know, desire to see everybody's voice matter. Right. That that's really increased. While you were in the, the Q community, how, how actively involved were you? Was it simply a case of just researching or were you, because you seem to be quite infused by the things that you, you felt you were learning and seeing for the first time. So were you just simply researching for your own benefit or were you trying to sort of actively recruit people or wake them up or just engaging in this new safe area that you'd found with, yeah. with people? I would say for the first two months, I was very actively trying to wake other people up. Okay. Um, it, it felt like that was the best thing I could do. I felt motivated from a place of love, you know, kind of like Christians can be motivated from a place of love to sure. support you, right? It, mm-hmm. So really solidly for a couple of months, my enthusiasm was really high. And I was trying to trying to find ways to get through to people around me. I have one friend in my community who mm, I would say believes in most of the conspiracy theories, but but has never believed in Q. And he's been kind of in conspiracy theory world in a strong way for close to 20 years. And he gave me a healthy piece of feedback, which was to say that my enthusiasm was driving people away right? and suggested that I tone it down. And I said, mm-hmm. it's so hard to tone it down. 
He said, I know exactly what you mean because I felt that way 20 years ago when I started to see some of these things. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was good advice (laughs) because prior to that, I was so driven by, you know, I want you to wake up with me. I want you to feel the, I mean, again, it kind of, it felt like a revelation. It felt like an awakening. I, I was so filled with love and joy after watching this video series that it was like my fear disappeared. My mind felt more clear. I had high energy. My creativity was way up. My confidence was way up. I felt amazing for the first two to three months. And I utilized that to, again, to kind of confirm that what I had seen was true. I didn't realize that what had happened in this video is that it gave me a story that made my fear temporarily disappear. And it's just naturally a wonderful feeling when your fear's gone. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I really did try hard to give other people that wonderful feeling of waking up. I was hoping that that lack of fear was a new state of being that I would maintain. Right. You know, it wasn't just a, a temporary high of sorts. Right. Right. Uh, it, I mean, it really was the greatest natural high I've ever had in my life to to feel that way and to feel that way for months. So I thought if I could gift, give that gift to other people, you know, they would forgive me for the discomfort they felt in their awakening process because it's right. so liberating once you awaken. So I really, really sought to engage in in a loving and active way after a couple of months when when my friends let me know kindly that I was turning people off, I did temper it down and it kind of slowly dissipated from there. And at that point I was just staying connected to kind of red pill QAnon community because that felt like it was a place of sanity and and my old community felt like a place of insanity and lack of safety. So I was less compelled to try to convert them, but I was also kind of starting to give up on them and and Mm -hmm. kind of going, okay, you know, I can't I can't save people. There's also the fear that still exists a lot in QAnons. And and to be honest, I haven't fully, like, I don't know what to do with it. I don't fully trust the vaccine still. Um, And I know that's a very unpopular thing to say, but the, the concern was definitely blown up much bigger than it is currently uh, fearing, you know, fearing that this vaccine um, had a dark agenda to it. So again, I don't totally trust the vaccine, but I'm not as frightened of it as I was. Um, right. When I was a QAnon, I was really frightened that, you know, that it could kill off all the people I love within a few years time. Yeah. So presumably a lot of the fear for it was stoked by the idea of it. This is another control method. Right. Uh, that it's a control method. There's, yeah, I think some of the rumors was that there could be you know, nanotechnology yeah, microchip yeah. put in it, or it can change your DNA and, you know, make you no longer legally human. And when you're not legally human, you can be treated like an animal. There are just so many rumors uh, about the vaccine that, that were frightening. And it was hard to, you know, how, how do you fact check it when you don't trust the fact checkers? <laughs> right. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna say, I wanted to just lean into that a little bit in, into terms of, of that, because there is, it seems from, from an outsider's perspective that obviously there is a, a real mistrust with, with mainstream media. So right. when there is 
there is, as you say, fact checkers, but you don't trust them, that you kind of become almost conditioned to just basically cut them off and be like, okay, well, no, because they're going to say that because that's what they want from you. Right. Um, how much did you find yourself actually buying into some of these these rumors? Because I'll, I'll be honest, with all due res- yeah. respect, the nanotechnology things, like, are to lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I hear that. I, um... I mean, I, un- I, I understand why people may be like, questioning vaccines, yeah. and I think you should question everything. Yeah, to a degree, um, but there, there there are some things that were, I, and again, I I can only go from my perspective. Sure, uh, it's obviously different because you've been on the other side of the fence, as it were, and what have you. Yeah, but, I believe nanotechnology is farther along than we generally see, but I oh, don't absolutely. think that there's nanotechnology bots or tracking devices in the vaccine. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I want to go from from the natural high that you got to the come down mm-hmm. and uh, the the doubt that kind of came to you and uh, the the movement towards leaving mm-hmm. Q. All right, gang, so we're going to leave it there. Next week, we're going to be looking at how Alice actually escaped the rabbit hole and what it's been like since. And yeah, we're going to kind of get into that, which is its own separate, raw, personal and very human story. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ups and downs for sure in, in the concluding part of this conversation. So do make sure you check it out next week. The best way to ensure that happens as I always say, is the best way to support the show as well. If you're new to what we're doing here at Dime Down and you like what you've heard, then the best way to show some love and support what we're doing and help us grow is to simply subscribe via your favorite podcast platform. You can also give us a rating and a review. Those help enormously. If you look in the show notes for this particular episode over at dimed-out.com or in the show notes for the device that you are listening to this on, You'll also see a bunch of links in there as well where you can see the other stuff that we're doing and the other ways in which you can support what we're doing here at Dimed Out, mainly via our coffee page or our Dimed Out Patreon account in which you can get extra content. All right, guys, on that note, that pretty much does it for this week. As I say, do make sure you check into next week's episode where we finish our conversation with Alice. But until then, as always, thank you for listening. Look after yourselves look after each other, and until next time, keep it dimed out.